As I have uh, been working to prepare sermons over the last number of weeks, and what I anticipate is going to happen over the next few weeks, is I want to preach based on a person's story, a character, a person who was a, a real human being out of the Bible. And as I was prayerfully trying to discern this week who I should preach on, who I should speak about, the Lord directed me to go to a book that I have called All the Women of the Bible. I have on a whole series of books. It's all the promises of the Bible, all the all the miracles of the Bible, all of the men of the Bible. But this particular book that I have is called All the Women of the Bible. And as I was reading it, I was led to a particular story that I just I felt strongly that that was what God was leading me towards. And so I wanted to share it with you guys this morning. And interestingly, I'm going to try and get the slide to come up. You can find in Matthew 26, Mark 14... Luke 7 and John 12, you can find what I thought was the same story. Now, what I want to do this morning, and it's going to be tough, so what I need is I need four volunteers to become experts in your particular passage. I need somebody to turn to the Matthew passage, someone to turn to the Mark passage, someone to turn to the Luke passage, and someone to turn to the John passage. And what we're going to do is this. Um, who, will, who will take the Matthew passage? Just raise your hand. Anybody? I'll take Matthew. Okay. We got Matthew. Who's, who's willing to do Mark? Anybody? Okay. Who's, who's going to take on John chapter 7? I mean Luke chapter 7? Okay. And then John chapter 12. I need one more volunteer. Okay. So you guys turn to those passages. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you a question. And I want you to tell me. The answer out of your passage. Okay? So, Matthew is Elsie. Mark is Evelyn. Luke is Renee, temporarily. And John is Ruth. Okay? So, very first thing. You guys got your spots? Okay. We're going to try and follow this story as it's read in each of these different passages. So, Jesus is the primary character, and he goes to a house in a small village called... Bethany. Bethany. Renee, does your passage say where? Does it say Bethany? Okay. And then Ruth? Okay, so um, now he was in the home of Simon the leper. Simon the leper. Renee, does yours say Simon the leper? I'm gonna make sure that I'm in the right place. Luke chapter seven, okay. verses thirty-six okay. through fifty. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So the guy's name is Simon, right? And then John? Does it say where? I can't go past eight, so. No, you're not missing because it doesn't say. 
It doesn't say where. It just simply says in, in John in, in chapter in, the, in John chapter twelve, it says that Jesus went to the village of Bethany, and there was a, a dinner hosted for him, but it doesn't say where. It does say that Martha was the hostess, that Lazarus, the one who had been raised from the dead, had been present, and that his sister Mary was there. Now, scholars, some scholars, and they have no biblical evidence for this, this is just their thoughts. Some scholars say, well, obviously what this means is that somehow Martha, Mary, and Lazarus were related to Simon. Some scholars think that maybe Martha had been married to Simon, and then that Simon died, leaving the estate to Martha, and now she's in charge. Some people said that it was just simply Simon hosting it, but Martha was the one running it because she said she's gifted. Uh, we're not given any of that in the Bible. All we know is that Martha, Mary, and Lazarus were present at this dinner. Now let's go back to Matthew again. Um, Jesus is at this at this at this at this, at this uh, party, and he is reclining at the table. And what that means for those of you who are not familiar. In that culture, they have low tables, they don't sit on chairs, they, sit, they rest on cushions, and they literally are seated or are laying in such a way that they can rest their arm on the table and then feed themselves. Or they can just rest on their elbow and feed themselves, and their feet are actually behind them, if you will. Okay? And um, so that's the image that we have here. They're all gathered around a table, but they're not sitting in chairs. They're laying on the ground with their elbows supporting themselves so that they can feed this way with their right arm. And they would never use their left hand because that's for toileting. This is for eating. Okay? So they, we know that they would be resting on their left elbow, eating with their right hand, and their feet would be back behind them. So that's how they're all seated, seated reclining around this table. Well, then it says in, in, in this that... This woman comes in to do something, okay? And she takes a vial of expensive perfume or ointment, and the jar is made of Elsie, okay, and Ruth, I mean Evelyn. And then does Luke say what it was made out of? And what does it say about John? Okay, so they all say alabaster. And then she used this ointment, and she did what with it, Elsie? Stop. And? She broke the jar and poured it on his head. Okay, so she poured it on his head in Matthew and Mark. Luke? It said she stood behind him. And feet. Okay. And she ended up anointing his? Feet. His feet. And then John? Anointed Jesus' feet. Okay, we got a problem here. We got a problem here. What's going on? Hmm. Different eyewitnesses. We have no idea why there's a difference in the story. All we know is that there's some kind of a difference here. That's all we can explain from, from our perspective, okay? Alright, so, the next thing that happens is someone responds to this woman for breaking open this jar of expensive ointment and pouring it out on Jesus' body, okay? Uh, in Matthew, what do we, who's, who speak, who's upset? They were indignant, saying, so, so. Okay, so the disciples got upset 
and got indignant and said something. Okay. Mark? Some of those present were saying indignantly. Some present were saying indignantly. Luke? Okay, so the Pharisee who invited him got upset. Ruth? And that was, you said that was Judas, right? Okay, so Matthew and Mark say that either the disciples or those who were present, and then John says Judas himself got upset and spoke, but the one that that Luke is reporting on says that it was the host, Simon, who got upset, but he didn't speak out loud, did he? What did he? He said it to himself. And what happened in the Luke story in response to him thinking? Uh, well, he said that, um, that if, if this man were a prophet, he would know who he's touching, he's touching him and what kind of a woman she is. So the, the host thinks to himself indignantly, if this man, Jesus, was some kind of a real prophet, he'd know who this sinner was that was touching him, and he wouldn't let him do it. What did the other three Gospels say? Uh, in Matthew, they, they, they didn't talk about for being a sinner. They said, why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. Mark? They rebuked her harshly. And what did they rebuke her over? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. Okay, so pretty much the same. What about John? Okay, how did Jesus respond in Matthew, Mark, and John? Uh, Jesus was aware of what they said. He says, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, whenever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Okay, Mark? Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor will always have you, and you can help them at any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Okay, and then John? Leave her alone. She has saved you time my burial. You always have the floor with you, but you won't always have me. Okay. So... These three stories, Jesus is rebuking the disciples or the people present or Judas who is confronting this woman. I mean, each if you read those carefully, you'll see that that person actually spoke out to the woman saying, what do you think you're doing? You, that, that such a credible waste. You could that money that could have been sold and the money given to the poor. So they're making her feel humiliated and shamed. And Jesus comes to her defense and he says, wait a minute, wait, you, you, you people, knock it off. This woman has done a very beautiful thing for me. She has done what she could with what she had. 
And I'm telling you, not only this, back off because what she did is going to be memorialized for all of eternity so that people all around the world forever and for always will talk about this woman and what she did. What did Luke say? Let me point out some things. I have, I've been Christian for 45, almost 45 years. And I have always, always, always thought these four passages were exactly about the same person and the same place and the same event. And through my study this week, I have learned that that is not true. Number one, in Matthew, Mark, and John... Not John, because they don't name the host, but in Matthew and Mark, they say that the host of the party was a man named Simon the leper. A Pharisee who was actively involved in the Sanhedrin could not be a leper. So, either the man was a leper and got healed and is now in the mark of the Pharisees, which seems a little bit odd, because if Jesus healed the leper, which if you go back into the early parts of the Gospels, you'll see an unnamed leper gets healed. If Jesus heals a leper, then why is this quote-unquote healed leper antagonistic towards Jesus in Luke chapter 7? Because there's this sense in the story in Luke chapter 7 that this Simon, who was a Pharisee, doesn't really believe Jesus is a prophet. And he's trying to trick it, tra- test him and, and see what's going on. If he really was a prophet, he would have known that this sinner, blah, blah, blah. Doesn't sound like somebody who's rejoicing and celebrating what Jesus has done in his life. Another thing. Um, scholars, if you, it, it, to the letter, I mean, every single book I opened, every single scholar I consulted, said exactly the same thing. 
The woman in Luke 7 is not Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. Then other scholars said, and there are some people who try to make this woman in Luke chapter 7 out to be Mary Magdalene. Because it says, out of Mary Magdalene there were cast seven demons. But there is nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in any of the gospel stories that we are given any information that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. If you look at Jesus Christ Superstar, they've got her pegged as a prostitute. But that has nothing to do with what the Bible says. Okay, that's just a cultural thing. So, who is this woman? Mm-hmm. She's a woman who lives in the, in the area, and, and I believe it was Bethany, who was very, very aware of Jesus being the Messiah, very, very aware of the fact that she was a sinner, and she was, for whatever reason, pouring out. Now, had she been forgiven beforehand, and now she's pouring out love, or had she just acknowledged that he was Jesus and that he needed to be, uh, this was a prompting from the Holy Spirit of God? I don't fully understand exactly what's being said in this. I don't think we're given all of that. But what we do know is that she was not rejected, but that she was honored. And that Jesus indeed said uh, in Luke chapter 7, your sins are forgiven. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And then those at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The other argument against this person being Mary Magdalene is who showed up on Resurrection Sunday at the tomb? Who was the very first person to show up at the tomb? Mary Magdalene. And what was she doing? She was with a couple of ladies who wanted to anoint Jesus' body for his burial. Well, if she had already done it, why would she be coming back? And you, if you, in the timeline, this actually, this, this supper took place days before or the day of, or just a day or two before Jesus' um, triumphal entry and the whole thing. So this is real close to the time of the Passion Week. Any, bottom line is this. These are two separate stories, two separate people, and they just happen to take place in, a, in a, the home of somebody named Simon. Well, there are a lot of Bobs in this world, and in this church, there are a lot of Renees, and there's a lot of Bobs, and there were a lot of Chrises and Christinas and Christies when I first got here, and Simon is just that common of a name in, in, the, in that culture. So it is not unreasonable for a scholar to say, it's two different events, two different settings, two different situations. But isn't it interesting how the human, human mind and the human uh, cynically goes, oh, like, oh, horrible ways, like, uh, or, or comes down on somebody for doing something that's out of the ordinary or out of the, out of the norm, out of the cultural norm, in both cases. Now, the other thing that I wanted to point out in um, Mark. Let me go to that one. I'm just going to quickly read through it. And while he was at Bethany's house of Simon the leper, reclining at a table, a woman came to the to class. Da-da-da-da-da. 
Oh, here it is. It's up on the screen. Let me just put it up on the screen. Mark chapter uh, 14, verses 6 through 8. This is the Phillips translation, which I love the way he had it. He, she has done a beautiful thing for me. She has done all she could. This woman, whether it was Mary or this other uh, prostitute, sinner person, both stories. But Mark is talking about Mary, the, the sister of, of Lazarus. And that's why it's kind of confusing. That's why I almost didn't choose this graphic because it's showing these tears streaming down out of her face and she's wiping the tears. But that's not what we're told what happened with Mary. Except in John, she did anoint his feet, but in, Mary, in Matthew and Mark, she anointed his head. And who knows? We weren't there. We just know that that happened. And that there was this thing of oil, an ointment that was poured out. But the thing that I think that is so cool is that Jesus said, she has done a beautiful thing for me. Stop harassing her. She did all she, she has done all she could. She took what was within her power and she gave. And it was the most priceless possession she probably had. One of the things we don't understand because of our culture, it says, I, I, was it in John, I think it said, uh, but I mean, uh, Luke it said, but either way, in, in the whole story, this amount of, of money that this was worth was equivalent to a full year's wages. Okay? So I don't know what each one of your households brings in in a year, and I don't need to know. But think about it. If, if, if you were to love God so much, not that he asked you to do it, but that you loved God so much that you went to your bank account and you withdrew, withdrew the equivalent of one full year's salary and you burned it. You took the cash and you burned it as a burnt offering. It was extravagant, it was lavish, it was wasteful. It could have been used for the poor. It could have been, you could have done, you could have gotten a good tax break on it. But what you did was stupid, wasteful, careless, but prompted out of your love for God as a sacrifice. Something that was incredibly valuable and dear to you. And no one else understands why you're doing it, but you felt prompted that this was what you were being asked to do. Whether it was the Holy Spirit telling you to do it or whether it was just out of your own heart. Can you imagine being in that moment? Jesus said in John chapter 15, I read it to the kids this morning, greater love has no one than this, that they give their own life for their friend. And so one of the things that I have been just totally aware of all morning long is this idea that I'm standing on a solid rock, that I have been rescued from all of my garbage, of who I was, and how I was living, and the path that I was on. God saw value in me, and rescued me from 
the destructive path that I was choosing of my own. God wooed me. God drew me in. Thank God I responded to that wooing. And as a result, God welcomed me into the family. I was declared a child. And for whatever reason, God has allowed me to continue to stay on this earth for 45 years beyond that moment when I got adopted into his family. So there's a reason, and I don't necessarily understand why, and I don't need to necessarily understand why. I just need to know that God wants me down here for a reason. And as we read the scriptures and as we are discipled and mentored, we learn that it is now our responsibility to help promote and advance the kingdom of God. I mean, it's just, it's how it is. We are, for lack of a better way of saying it, we are God's hands. We are God's feet. We are God's voice. We are the arms that God uses to come around somebody else and love them into the kingdom. When I was 16 years old and got saved, my plan had been that I was going to be a professional entertainer. I'm a very gifted actor. I'm a very gifted singer. I can't dance for anything, but that's okay. I truly thought that that was the path that I was going to go down. And then once I got saved, God began ever so gently and ever so slowly to change the path that he wanted me, I mean, to, to guide me to the path he wanted me on. And I resisted. You've heard the story. I resisted and I, I still struggled and, and literally it, it became a tension point about about six or seven years after after I got saved, where it literally became a breaking point for my, for my relationship, where I had to totally divorce myself from theater because I couldn't have both, because they were in competition. God and my, my dream of being an entertainer. And in my mind, that's where I come into this verse in, from Mark. I did a beautiful thing for God. I did all that I could. I consecrated my entire self. My dreams, my hopes, my ambitions, my finances, my, my family, everything. To walk the path that I was being asked to walk. Do you know when I announced to some family members that God had called us to Alaska? Do you know the pain that it caused some of my family members? And it was vicious, the response that I got. Kind of like Judas towards this woman. But the reality was, I wasn't saying I don't love my family I was saying, I love my God so much that I'm willing to do all that I can to serve Him, even if it means having to forsake something that I love, even if it means having to forsake my dreams and my hopes and my aspirations, because this is more important, honoring my God. And loving him and serving him to the best of my ability. And it all equates to this loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. 
And the second is loving your neighbor as yourself. But if I can walk this path with the mindset from both of these women that I am willing to be lavish in my wastefulness when it comes to serving my God. That I'm willing to give up everything that I value, everything that I hope for, everything that I dreamed about just to please my God. To be willing to say yes to anything. I did all that I could. Can you imagine standing at the judgment seat of Christ and having him look at me and say, well done. When you did that for me, Bob, it brought tears to my eyes. I literally fell off of my bed and wept because I knew that this gift that you were giving me was one that was so coming from the depths of your love for me. It was the best gift I could have ever gotten from you. And I challenge you. I challenge you. Examine your life. Have you given him the best gift yet?